Hello, everyone, and welcome to a fine edition, the finest edition of the ATNWB podcast. This episode in particular, we're going to be going over news, but not only any news. Uh, Warner Brothers has broke the back off of the theater distribution chain through Warner Synergy. And that's mostly what we're going to be talking about today. This is big, 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 big <laughs> news. So I'm joined here, as sometimes, with Alex Newman. Hi, Hi Alex. Here to hear the news. <laughs> awesome. So, I mean, we have, I feel like, three things to get to. The biggest being this new model that AT&T and Jason Kylar have uh, given us which is that all 17 films in the Warner Brothers studio slate for 2021 are going to be uh, simultaneously released in theaters and on HBO Max. And it'll last on HBO Max for a month, and then it'll leave HBO Max. And I suppose it would maybe stay in theaters if it's doing well. And I suppose maybe you can then buy it for premium on, like, uh, on demand services, uh, but this is huge. This is like the biggest thing that's ever happened to theaters in the last like 20, 30 years. So there's a lot of hot takes. Um, we have uh, Nolan's take on it, you know, Dennis Villeneuve, his take. Um, a lot of people are pissed off. Um, a, a lot of fans are happy. It's a very weird situation, and... I think the one thing that Warner Brothers is really bad about is optics. And this is all about optics to a degree, which they have completely fucked up. So um, what's your take on this, uh, Alex? I'm curious to hear your opinion on no, like basically no more window between when movies come out in theaters and when they come out like digitally or direct to home entertainment as what it's called. I don't really have a problem with it in a certain sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, just cause I, I guess I feel like it's been heading this direction. I mean, they've already done this. There's already been a handful of movies. They've done similar things too, where they've released them simultaneously or like a week apart or whatever. Yeah. the Like not, not on this network on other, other, net, other, uh, other studios as well. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Um, the the first one that really did this, which I think it's really funny because of the movie that it was, was Trolls 2 World Tour with Universal. Because that's a DreamWorks movie, a DreamWorks animation, which was bought out a bunch of years ago by Universal. And that was the first movie, that was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back, where uh, they, were, they released the movie simultaneously on VOD and in theaters in like April like right after COVID happened and uh, like the theater chains were like, we're never going to forget this. They were like mob bosses. They were like, we're not going to release any uh, universal movies in the next however long. And it's like, really guys, you're not going to release like fast and furious nine, like, (laughs) and make, and that's going to make over a billion dollars, like guaranteed, like, come on, let's be realistic here. And they definitely backed off of that as time progressed. But now this this has kind of reinvigorated their anger in a way, but like as Jason Kylar was saying, uh, who I like again like Jay, like this guy has come in I assume from um, Silicon Valley and 
he's completely upended everything that like that's happened. He has this huge, like, you know, he wrote this, um, some big 2021 news for fans on his medium website, which uh, like, I don't know why, like Jason Kylar doesn't have like an official Warner media, like, website and they have to use they have to go through medium because isn't medium just like anyone can get a medium website oh i don't know maybe i I think so um but you know they they released they announced that they're releasing wonder woman 1984 simultaneously in theaters and on hbo max on on christmas 2020 and they made those deals so what happened was um, uh, Gal Gadot and Patty Jenkins had back-end deals for One Room in 1984. So it's basically, uh, you know, whatever your back-end, you know, if the movie makes a certain amount, you make a certain amount in back-end money. You know, that's how back-end deals work. And they did a calculation of, let's just say the movie made a billion dollars, right? So each of them, like, would get, like, so, you know, they, they did the calculation as opposed to, like, the movie actually making a billion dollars. They just pretended, like, let's pretend the movie makes a billion dollars. So you're going to get your back end for if the movie made exactly a billion dollars. So here's your $10 million check or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they got paid. And then AT&T, AT&WB was looking at this. And they were like, wow, this worked really well with... Wonder Woman 1984, let's do this with 17 other movies. So the little things, Judas and the Black Messiah, Tom and Jerry, Godzilla vs. Kong, The New Mortal Kombat, Those Who Wish Me Dead, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, In the Heights, Space Jam and New Legacy, The Suicide Squad, Reminiscence, Malignant, Dune, The Many Saints of New York, King Richard, Cry Macho, and The Matrix, the Matrix 4 are all going to be released simultaneously in theaters and on HBO Max in the United States at no extra cost. So it's not even a premium that they're charging you for these movies. But you still have to buy HBO Max. So you have to buy a monthly subscription to something that they usually get you by like saying, here, do six months and you only have to pay this much a month. Do a year and you can pay a whole $2 less a month. Exactly. And and they really hope, you know, this is the big hope is that someone signs up for HBO Max just to watch One Woman 1984 on Christmas because everyone is clamoring for it like that, that have hopefully people aren't coming together at Christmas 2020. But let's say they are. Let's say, I mean, it's a whole family, for instance. We both know they are. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. <laughs> so I mean, like we the whole America. <laughs> yes, it's very true. I do what I want. Uh <laughs> And you can't tell me. You remember that uh, it's a very silly sketch on SNL with Jimmy Fallon, and he plays like a Boston guy, and and um, it's like, are you telling me what to do? It's like very, very dopey and silly. It's like he just gets like they just get angry. Like you can't tell you can't tell me what to do. That's all they say. I don't know why I keep doing a Southern accent. It's supposed to be a Boston JFK accent. Um, yeah, I, it's 
a reflection of our world right now. <laughs> Definitely. But you know that like a family is like, we need something to do. Let's let's all watch Wonder Woman 1984 together. So let's sign up for the subscription service and pay the $12 for December. And then, you know, they forget they have it for three years. And then uh, AT&T makes back all of the money, the $160 billion of debt that they're currently in. Um, well, it's less than that now because they've sold off their stake in uh, Hulu. They've sold a lot of international things. They sold a lot of like property. They've sold uh, like Crunchyroll. They've sold a lot of things to keep the to, to try to get themselves in the black, which is basically what this podcast has been about. We've been talking a lot, a lot about uh, Warner Brothers debt. And so fascinating, fascinating topics that I know everyone uh wants to um, get into even more um <laughs> and, you know this is part of that this is that hbo max is definitely they have i think it's only like 8.4 million activated subscriptions so out of like the 25 million uh hbo subscriptions like less than 10 are hbo max now and what's weird with that uh, number too is it's just people who downloaded HBO Max. So it's not even people who like literally activated their subscription into an HBO Max subscription. It's just people who had HBO that downloaded the app but didn't bo- like if they didn't bother to like sign in, it doesn't matter. It's just that they downloaded the app and that they have HBO already. So hmm. it, they're playing with the numbers there obviously because I don't think HBO Max was as big of a success as they thought. I think that people were generally confused as to why there's HBO, HBO Go, HBO Now, and now HBO Max. Like, what is the difference between all of these? When one is a completely, really, one is a completely different service. Like, it has it has HBO embedded in it, but it's this other completely different family-friendly oriented thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think Disney is trying to do the the same thing with their like Disney Plus kind of thing, where you're you're you know you're getting all the stuff, but then you're getting special access to movies when they come out or before they come out or whatever. Yeah, I think I mean obviously Disney knows what they're doing better than anyone in the world always. Um, well, so... at least in terms of making money, not in terms of taking care of anyone. It's very true. That's very, very true. I mean, they, uh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, 28.7 million total subscribers um, for HBO. Um, but, um, yeah, so, what, I mean, what Disney does is they, they broke their brands down. Are you okay? Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, okay. my cat is, uh, uh, she just <laughs> tried to jump up here and uh, didn't make it. Pokey or Eevee? It. Eevee. Of course. Adorable. You okay, like, is she okay? Yeah, she's fine. She's just now she's just over there drinking water as if nothing okay. happened. Okay, I guarantee you Lana will come over here later and, and just sit on the computer and then like probably delete everything that we've talked about so far. <laughs> like pay attention to me. Don't do podcasts right now. That's how she thinks. Um but yeah, so um uh, anyway, back to Warner Bros. Back to HBO. Back to Disney. That's what we were going at. So yeah, Disney broke their brand down into different facets. So you have Disney Plus, which has you know Marvel, Pixar, Disney, 
and Star Wars and National Geographic and The Simpsons, like, all embedded in it, you know? So that's, like, five brands in one brand, which is very smart marketing. And, you know, they're different silos within this larger silo. And then they have their adult brand, at least in America, which is Hulu. And... FX on Hulu. So, like, all of the FX stuff is now, like, the Hulu brand, really. Like, FX and Hulu are kind of, like, merging as the same thing. And then they had the their, they had their big um, call, investors call, um, last week, Disney. And, you know, they announced those 10 new Star Wars shows, the two Star Wars movies, like, a bunch of Marvel TV shows, like a Buzz Lightyear prequel spinoff with Chris Evans as uh, Buzz Lightyear instead of Tim Allen because yeah. they want to get out of the Tim Allen business. So that's a good way of doing it, I think. Um, I don't think they'll and, ever escape that. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, see, we'll see who plays him in Toy Story 5, right? I mean, I've heard what they did in Toy Story 4, so I feel like Buzz is going to have a bigger role without getting into spoilers for the next film if they ever make that, so... Yeah, uh, I just don't. Yeah, I don't know. It. Uh, I mean, but like you know, I mean, he's made what like fifteen or twenty Disney pro- projects over the yeah, years. He, oh, definitely. I mean, Jungle to Jungle, and was there another also, Jungle project he did? <laughs> I don't remember, but he also did. I mean, he did Shaggy Dog. He also did uh, all three Santa Claus movies. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was definitely a force to be reckoned with in the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, but like people's, um, you know, people get Disney contracts and like Disney kind of like chews them up and spits them out, which you can see that kind of with Johnny Depp where like, you know, they, they utilized him for five Pirates movies and for like Into the Woods. And now that he's toxic, they're not going to touch him with a 10 foot pole anymore. You know, they're, they're like, we made our, we made our Johnny Depp money. We, they kind of made him toxic in a way where they gave him all of this cash and then he just went crazy with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a comp- complicated situation there. But it's very yeah. clear that both parties are have done wrong to me. Definitely. Definitely. And that, I mean, that brings us to other news, which, you know, I feel like a lot of times after Disney has their time in the sun with a certain actor, with a certain director, with a certain writer, and they're like, we're kind of over them now, then Warner Brothers scoops them up. And they're like, okay, we'll utilize them now um, to an nth degree. So that's why they got Johnny Depp. Like, oh, Johnny Depp's not doing Disney stuff right now, so we'll get him for you know Harry Potter and the Fantastic Beasts movies, even though we should see the writing on the wall with this guy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, and now they've they've, as far as I understand, he's been released from that from that contract. He's not going to be in the next Fantastic Beast movie. They're replacing him. Yeah, he's been replaced by Mads Mikkelsen, and Mads actually, they someone asked him about it recently um, when he was doing a, a like a you know press tour for another film, and Mads said about Depp, well, it's going to be me, so that's a difference. No, this is the tricky part. We're still working it out. There has to be a bridge between what Johnny did and what I'm going to do. And at the same time, I also have to make it my own. But also, we have to find a few links to the previous version of the character and some bridges so it doesn't completely detach from what he's already masterfully achieved. 
yeah, like uh, what's his name did when they were, when the first Dumbledore died, and they exactly. replaced him with some guy who had no idea what was going on and didn't care. <laughs> yes, and yeah. then was a terrible Dumbledore. Proceeded to be a really terrible Dumbledore for like the rest of the series. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I I will in not not in his defense, but in like the character's defense to a degree. If in the books. Like Dumbledore, you're supposed to lose faith in as the books are progressing. And there's, in the sixth, seventh book, there's a lot of like, well, Dumbledore may not be as great as you think he is. And then, you know, by the end of it, you realize like, oh, he's, he is as great as you thought he was. But like, they want to give you that doubt to kind of give Harry the moment to become his own person. But... Yeah, I I do think that's what he was trying to go. For. I mean, again, I, well, like I don't that, I don't. The, the, well, I was gonna okay. say the guy who actually played Dumbledore, the the replacement, Michael Jambon or whatever. Yeah, he's he has openly talked about in interviews how he never read any of the scripts, he didn't see the previous <laughs> performance, and that he didn't care that it was a paycheck for him. Yeah, that's so, really like, bad. Yeah, so I mean, that's that is why the performance changed so much. It wasn't so much a director choice or it wasn't because of the writing it was because the actor had never had no idea who the character was just making up shit as he went along (laughs) yeah yeah see that's that's not good for the character and i remember too how like uh the the newer director uh like filmed dumbledore like i remember like one scene in particular uh like harry's on like a higher step than dumbledore is and i'm like dumbledore is all about stature like why would you have like Harry, like above him, it doesn't make any sense. Like even if it's just like a physical presence, like you want Dumbledore to have a the physical presence of being above every other character. So like I think even the directing later on was a little off in a way. Well, I mean, from... they quit using real directors. They hired just some random guy who they yeah. would do what they wanted him to do. I mean, he, oh they definitely. Didn't... They were like, oh, yeah, let's hire, oh, God, what's his name, David Yates? Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's directed uh, two episodes of a TV show before. Let's give him a giant franchise. <laughs> Wait, why? Why are we doing this? Oh, yeah, yeah. because all of the, the big-name directors we hired did stuff their own way, and we don't like that. Yeah, uh, Chris Columbus, Alfonso Cuaron, and Mike Newell. Yeah, uh, all significantly better directors. Yeah. Yeah, and um, David Yates, he did like yeah, it's it's very it's much more like TV based how he directed cuz he did 5 6 7 7 part 2, Fantastic Beasts 1 2 and obviously he's doing Fantastic Beasts 3 now. So you've and, listed his, all of his credits. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I know That's, he doesn't listen to this podcast because he's made so much money, but if he ever does, David Yates I'm very jealous of you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You've done basically nothing and you were handed billions of dollars for for, some, for apparently as far as I can tell, being in the right place at the right time. That's true. That's very (laughs) true. And, um, I know Mike Newell, he did Donnie Brasco, right? And four weddings Mm -hmm. and a funeral. Yeah. Yeah. Really excellent director. (laughs) Yeah. Like Oscar worthy director. (laughs) Yeah. The first guys are, I mean, you, you could make your qualms with Chris Columbus, but like I, I would argue he's 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 about the closest thing to Spielberg that that there there has been. 
Yeah, I mean, I think obviously the Home Alone movies are in like in very beautiful at like how they're shot and and made and like. I rewatched Home Alone one recently. Obviously, everyone's doing that this year for the 30th anniversary, yeah. and it has you know the the cadence in the directing and in the plotting is so brilliant. I've, there's some stuff I never really truly picked up on before because I don't think I've really seen the movie as an adult. So watching it as an adult was really fascinating because like you know there's the there's the guy with the shovel. And there, and it's like, oh, the guy with the shovel is evil. That's what Buzz says. And so then Kevin thinks he's evil throughout the entire movie. And then he realizes he's not evil. He just like has a father, or he has a daughter, or, or son. You know, he has a has a kid that he hasn't talked to in a while, which is all about Kevin's story, really. You know, Kevin's emotional through line is like, is like accepting, like your parents as they are, even if they're flawed. And like that's what this older man has to deal with too. He has to deal with that fact that he's flawed and that like, even if like he has to just accept his kids for who they are too. And so Kevin realizes this. So he creates this entire scenario, which is the end of the movie to make the shovel guy, the hero. Like he runs into the shovel guy's house at the end. And then he lets the bad guys like get him and, and and grab him and like pin him up on the door. And then that's when the shovel guy comes in and saves the day. And so, like, I never really put that together that Kevin's whole storyline is to prop up the guy who everyone thinks is evil to actually be a good guy. And then at the very end, he looks over at Shovel Guy, and Shovel Guy's, like, family is coming into his house for Christmas. And Kevin's like, I did that. Like, I'm the one who did that. It's just really beautiful. Yeah. And the second one, like, and even though the second one really is, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's a retread or a remake, but it has a slightly slightly different message and it uses the same type of character extremely effectively with the the old old pigeon lady um yeah and and two yeah i mean he's just he he's like i mean he has a very spielberg quality to like both his style and both the the kind of like family messages that he really likes to put in his stuff as well definitely Um, and there's the um and mrs doubtfire didn't he direct that as well Oh yeah, he visited Outfire. He also directed uh, Bicentennial Man and oh, Adventures, wow. in, Adventures in Babysitting. Um, oh wow, love also, all of those movies. Those are yeah. both Disney movies too that you yeah. just mentioned. Uh, and also, he did the Percy. He did the first Percy Jackson movie, if I remember correctly. Yeah, they so, try to they try to get that up and running like they did Harry Potter, which he did with Harry Potter. Yeah, and I mean, go oh, go ahead. I was gonna say like. I, Again, I think he actually did a pretty good job. I think the the second film was more the reason why that that series didn't continue on more than his film. And uh, I think they're rebooting it for Disney Plus, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's like one they TV probably series. should. Yeah, because I mean, it's it's a, just a very popular and successful. I mean, even the movie, on honestly, still. I mean pretty sure both films still made over a hundred million dollars i mean even if they were flops because they cost so much like a lot of people still saw them yeah i, I think that's think like I... one of the things that's like it's always like kind of strange to me when people talk about how how bad some movies flop and it's like well yeah they flopped but still like 10 million people saw it it only flopped because you spent way too much money on it exactly i know solo the star wars movie made like over 500 million dollars and like 
you know, made more money than the Star Trek 2009 and Star Trek Beyond, which is the third of the new movies, made like so much more money than both those movies. Both those movies are considered like a raging success while because of how much money they spent, because they really made two movies with Solo because they had a bunch of different directors. Like yeah. it's it's not con- it's not considered <laughs> successful. But I mean, all, that also comes down to like, I think a lot of these creators when they get when they were getting into star wars but when you know when kathleen kennedy first took over they all were like i am star wars and it's not it's like no we are all star wars like you're just not star wars like star wars is for all of us like you're not just because you're making the solo movie doesn't mean you're making decisions for the greater universe of star wars and i feel like that's what they were trying to pull there when you know kathleen kennedy is the big wig there so she's the one making those big sweeping decisions not individual directors and i feel like that was the power struggle that was happening between the lego boys and kathleen kennedy (laughs) yeah the power struggle really should have been about casting han solo and they should have been fighting to cast anyone else (laughs) (laughs) like anyone else they could have put a rock they could have put a rock in there and cgi'd uh, like Harrison, Harrison Ford's, Ford's face. face onto it, and it would have been a better performance. <laughs> that's that's fair. I the, the face wouldn't even have to move. It could I, be it could be a still photo, and it would have more emotion and <laughs> would create more empathy or interest on stage than or on screen than than. Can't remember the guy's name. Alden Elderick. I I I personally didn't mind him at all as han i know that might oh. be controversial but i also don't mind hayden christensen as anakin skywalker and... okay oh no no i i i i think the parallels are super good mm-hmm. um like and i i think hayden christensen is terrible <laughs> in that role but i don't think that he's terrible as an actor okay because I've seen him in other things where he's been really good. But Have the you... Alden guy, mm-hmm. the other things that I've seen him in, I, li- I literally don't even remember him being in them. That's really funny. I The only things I've... So, like, I don't think he's a good actor. So I, I just... my Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, sorry. I know it's okay. The only things I've seen him in are Solo, which is the first thing I've ever seen him in, and then uh, Brave New World, the TV series. And I do think he does a pretty good job there. Um, because he has to play it with a lot of um, I don't know. I actually feel like he plays that role more Han Solo than he plays his Han Solo role. <laughs> Weird. See, like yeah. he's one of those guys that like nepotism has been really good to him because his father is Steven Spielberg's personal accountant and like has wow. been for like thirty years. So like yeah, like that's why he got this role. Is because he knows Kathleen Kennedy and, and Spielberg very closely. Like he would not be in film if he was not related to who he's related to. That's very <laughs> fair. Nepotism does go a long way in this industry. And we were talking you were saying before how you felt that like Chris Columbus is the closest to Spielberg uh we've we've gotten really. Um I mean, I get, uh, and, uh, I think a lot of people would think of like almost, uh, but I think their their themes are completely different. But I think a lot of people think of like Nolan as like the current Spielberg. Yeah, but, 
I, I, th- I think a lot of people do, and I, I think that's really inaccurate. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think um, I, I like a lot of Nolan's stuff. Well, here, let, let me read the quote that he said about the HBO Max, uh, you know, this new distribution model. He said, some of our industry's biggest filmmakers and most important movie stars went to bed the night before thinking they were working for the greatest movie studio and woke up to find out that they were working for the worst streamer streaming service said Nolan. <laughs> Nolan added Warner brothers had an incredible machine for getting a filmmaker's workout everywhere, both in theaters and in home. And they are dismantling it as we speak. They don't even understand what they're losing. Their decision makes no economic sense. And even the most casual wall street investor can see the difference between disruption and dysfunction. Uh, again, I think he would have, uh, like, I think this soapbox that he's standing on would, like, make sense if COVID wasn't a reality, if Warner Brothers didn't mm-hmm. release Tenet in theaters back in August to see if it would work. And, you know, Tenet made $350 million worldwide and about $57.6 million in the U.S., which is good for um, a movie that comes out during COVID, but still not what they were expecting. And, you know, a lot of people were saying, like, when Tenant was out, like, if you guys release Tenant in theaters, I'm not going because I don't want to risk my life. I'm just going to illegally download it on the internet, which is, I'm sure, what happened and how, you know, Warner Brothers lost a lot of money probably by this theatrical model of just releasing it in theaters instead of you know releasing it on their streaming service simultaneously as in theaters yeah and i think that like these creatives have to realize that i mean obviously covid is happening but they have to realize too that um they have to realize too that Netflix has already really broken down the theatrical model. You know, they're making $300 million movies with The Rock, Gal Gadot, and Ryan Reynolds in it. And that's one movie, Red Notice, you know? Then yeah. that's, that's, that was never coming to theaters. And the fact that Warner Brothers is like, well, this is going to come to theaters simultaneously as it's coming to HBO Max is a win-win. They could have been like, you know what? Fuck theaters. This is just coming to HBO Max. You can only see this on our service, like The Witches, you know, like Robert Zemeckis's mm-hmm. The Witches that came out in October, which they had the same, uh, they had the same back end deal with him. So, you know, whatever his back end deal was, they said like, let's pretend your movie. I'm sure it wasn't a billion because I I guarantee you they didn't think The Witches was going to hit a billion dollars, oh, uh, yeah. esp- <laughs> especially with like I love Robert Zemeckis, like you know old school Robert Zemeckis, like. Obviously, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, I, I could argue is, and say it's my favorite movie. Um, the Back to the Future films, um, like Castaway and Forrest Gump, like these are all incredible, incredible movies. Um, I remember seeing Castaway and just being like completely blown away by the simplicity and the beauty of that film. And like the ending where like he like, uh, it's so sad, that ending of that movie, but it's so emotional and crippling and beautiful all at the same time. Um, uh, you you seen last great movie? Probably. I mean, I don't think you like it, but, um, I'll, you know, a lot of people still like the Michelle Pfeiffer, Harrison Ford film. Um, yeah, yeah, I like it. I, I, not, it's not, it's not called don't look now. I can't remember uh, what, what, what lies, lies beneath. beneath. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. 
Um, uh, yeah, I, I think that's his last really big hurrah. Cause then he went into, uh, like those 3d, um, like Mars needs moms type movies. I don't think he, I think he produced that for Disney. I don't think he actually made Mars needs moms, but worst name for a movie of all time. I love saying it though. <laughs> Mars needs moms. Like what, what, what is that? Why would you green light something called that? That's so weird. Um, uh, you know, he did the Beowulf, he did the uh, Christmas Carol, and he did the not, um, the Polar Express. And that was his big, like, this is the future of movies. Everything's going to be CG. And, and Tom Hanks is going to play eight different characters. And he's going to know that he's a different character because, you know what he did on the Polar Express? Because, you know, he plays Santa, and then he plays, like, the conductor in that movie and a couple other roles. So when he was playing the different roles and I assume they shot in like the preliminary for what is now the volume as they call it, like how, where they shot um, Tintin, the adventures of Tintin and how they shoot the Mandalorian, which is like a new version of the volume where the, it's not green screen or like a white background anymore. It's actually like, it's actually the, like if it's Tatooine, it's actually Tatooine behind you. When the camera moves, the background moves you know they did the math so the background moves properly with the camera so it actually looks like you're there and you know it's these super high res 8k or whatever screens anyway so (laughs) when when tom hanks was filming that he would wear different shoes to represent the different characters that he was wearing or did playing Mm. uh that's that's what i wanted to say that was the most (laughs) important thing (laughs) i do have a hot take on that movie which is that it's terrible uh, I, I don't is that I think that's a cold take I think that's a cold 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 take <laughs> people love it though it's like they talk about it as like a Christmas classic and it gets replayed every year and everything and I'm like this movie is awful and terrifying and they did boring. not perfect the the eyes yet Disney put a lot of technology in the early to mid 2000s like 2005 2006 they put in a lot, a lot of money into eye technology to make CG characters not look dead. And so it was all about the eyes. That's what they figured out because of Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within, you know, the first big oh, yeah. CG movie with actual human characters. And everyone was like, why does Steve Buscemi's character look like he's like a dead corpse walking around? And it's because of their eyes. They just don't look like, they don't give you that feeling of humanity in them. So you know, thousands, I mean, thousands, millions of dollars Disney and ILM spent to create eye technology. And I think you can see it a lot in the Clone Wars, like a lot of the, like, that's, I think that's why the early Clone Wars, even though it's kind of bulky and CG looks kind of weird, um, the animated show, uh, like, it looks weird, but it works because the eyes work in it. And, you know, they built off of that with everything. And it's ironic now because when they like shot uh, Rogue One, you know, they used the actual, you know, when they did Grand Moff Tarkin, he's like a CGI character with a human actor underneath. And they used his actual eyes still for the performance while, you know, everything else is CG, like, uh, like on his body, you know, CG makeup all up and down. But the eyes they left as his like real human eyes. And they did that recently on The Mandalorian um, as well. And, you know, they, they like to do that. And they also did that for Princess Leia in uh, Rogue One. You know, they kept oh, yeah, the yeah. actor's eyes while everything else was CG. Uh, and, and, and you can see that in The Rise of Skywalker, too, with um, 
Princess Leia, the flashback, they used uh, her her real life daughter. If you really look at her face, she has the eyes of her daughter, but then it's like it's Carrie Fisher's face. So it's like really <laughs> interesting how they how they did that. Billy Lord's eyes is what I yeah. It's interesting. Like and I I think they've got it to where like it they've it, it works really effectively. Uh, okay. Yeah. Hmm. I th- yeah, I think I think we're at a point now where it, it looks pretty good that they're they're doing a good job with it, and we're, we're probably going to get a lot of CGI de-aged actors nowadays in these future films. Oh, um, dude, I just had a random thought that going back to other to like the beginning of this whole conversation. <laughs> the I'll go ahead. The interview, the. That, I feel like the interview was the first like major film to be released simultaneously. Really? Yeah, I think so because that was like oh, 2014. That's right. And then and and it actually made money in theaters too. Like they they made their money back. I forgot about that. You're absolutely right. That was a huge deal because like theaters were like, we're not going to show this movie because we're afraid of of getting hacked. Like Sony got hacked, and that was that Seth Rogen. Uh, that was really funny yeah. and Evan Goldberg uh, <laughs> film that was that was yeah I mean Seth Rogen's so great I love him so much yeah uh, and, and his, his I love his writing style and it's just he's so funny and yeah you're right I, I watched that movie in New York I think I think I was over my buddy's house in New York and you know he 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 grabbed it off of iTunes or whatever and, and we watched it and it's it's hilarious. Um so like I th- yes. I think there really is a way I think it's gonna I don't think this is gonna happen because I mean I do think within a year or or so we're going to be, you know, quote unquote back to normal in some sense. But like yeah. I do think there's a realistically good model to make lower budget features and release them simultaneously. Yeah. Like I think that there's a, a a a really good model and like that could be a really neat thing if studios started reinvesting in smaller budget things again. Like the like in the like early 90s. Um Yeah, I think I mean really I guess that's really the only time that's really happened, but <laughs> Yeah, I th- that would be neat. I mean, I think I think that is uh, gonna happen. I th- I, th- I think that we're already seeing it in a way. Like um like the. I think there's a lot of these movies that I just announced that didn't necessarily need to go to theaters because like they would have lost money if they went to theaters, and it's smarter for them to just go to HBO Max. I think what okay, if we can go back in time, and this is a speculation, but I think like how Netflix gained its power was. Um, they, you know, they were a, a disc service, you know, DVD based service where you, they mm-hmm. would mail you a DVD and then you'd mail it back. I think, do you still have that part of the service? I don't, but I did for a long time. <laughs> you did it for much longer than everybody else did. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, they were that service. They were doing really well with that. And I think, uh, they saw the writing on the wall with DVDs and they're like, streaming is definitely the future. We want to be that. We want that distribution model. We want to, we want to be that company, and they fought for that. And I think what they really did was they went to like let's say Disney, and they were like, "Hey Disney, 
everyone illegally downloads Lost. Hey, uh, HBO, Warner Brothers. Everyone illegally downloads like Game of Thrones. Although I don't think Game of Thrones ever came to uh, Netflix. But you know what I mean. Yeah. Like Everyone is illegally downloading the show that you own. Why don't we give you the $10 million that you would lose for people illegally downloading this? And we'll put it up on our service and then people can watch it. And then you get your money and we get our and, you know, we get your show for 10 years, five years and everyone's happy. And so I think like that was their model. They're like, look how much money you're losing right now. Here's all of that money. Just give us the show. and We'll put it up here and watch. You'll stop bleeding out, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And then, you know, and it took them a really long time to realize, like, we can be our own Netflix, which I, you know, I think part of that was like Blu-rays are still making money. Like we know 4K uh, ultra discs or whatever they're called are going to be making a lot of money like after Blu-rays. So they were still trying to go to this old, decrepit, like physical media presence, like business model. When like Netflix was like, dude, like physical media is like far away. It's gone now. Like you guys just have to move on. And like Netflix kind of forced everyone to like realize, see the writing on the wall and form their own streamers, which some of them did it a lot later than others. Like everyone released it either like November, like a year ago or within this last year of 2020, which I think was like really not smart on their parts i think like 2018 was probably a better time for like hbo to expand itself into hbo max or something like that but you know that was before um it was right when hbo sorry that was right when warner brothers um was bought out by at&t so i feel like they needed to get bought out and to come to this realization of we need to be a streamer just as much as netflix is a streamer we needed to expand hbo um, yeah, and they still didn't do it right. I mean, like, the, like the in the last minute, they added all of the Harry Potter movies to HBO Max. Like, it wasn't in the press releases. Then suddenly, they made some some late night deal to grab. I think um, NBC Universal had the TV streaming rights to the Harry Potter films, and they grabbed them from them. They probably spent an exorbitant amount of money, Warner Brothers, to get the rights for like two months. So that when you first saw HBO Max, like they had one of their main properties, one of their main intellectual properties on there, but now they're gone again. So like, I don't, yeah. Again, like you see how Disney does it. They're like, we have Marvel and Star Wars, and this is the Marvel and Star Wars channel streamer. And everything else we have is also there, but this is where you get your Marvel and Star Wars. Like it would have been nice if HBO, Warner Brothers, you know, all these letters, AT&T, HBO, WB, <laughs> DC. They're all just letters. It's all a bunch of alphabet soup. I should really just call this podcast the Alphabet Soup Podcast. But um, So the, the letter company, they were like, uh, well, they, they should have been like, we have DC Comics and we have Harry Potter, and those are just as strong and viable brands as Marvel and Star Wars, and let's cultivate them and, you know add them as silos to HBO Max. And they think they realize that, like, way too late in the game. And they even have, like, you know, while 
Disney has like Mickey, you know, obviously HBO and Warner Brothers has Bugs Bunny and like that's a huge character and that's something that they have been promoting but like they, they could even be doing like you know, they could have a whole, they they have a section for Looney Tunes, but they could be like promoting it and being like this is where the Looney Tunes are. Like every child has to see all of this all of the time. Yeah, I think they definitely could be doing a better job with that. They had a bunch of that stuff on Verve, which I guess they probably sold off as well. Or I don't even know if they ever actually owned that. But if they owned Crunchyroll, they probably also owned Verve. Is that V-E-R-V-E? No, no, no. It's just V-R-V. Um, oh. It's another streaming. It, it, it used to be a very good streaming service. It's kind of it's gone down because they lost some of their content. Uh, but they used to yeah. have uh, all the like the Looney Tunes content uh, was on there. Yeah. So you could watch everything from like every single season of Scooby Doo and all the old Bugs Bunny and everything. But they took all that down, I guess, when they because they started a new new app or something or right. A boomerang or yeah. I mean, I like yeah. So Verve is part of. Um, AT and T, Warner Media's Otter Media. Okay, so which they do they do still own it then. Yeah, which like it had Crunchyroll in it has full screen and Rooster Teeth mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, and it had like uh, the like other Dan Harmon content was on there as well. Um, oh yeah, it had the his uh, TV his uh, Dungeons and Dragons show right. Yeah, and his uh, time travel show. Uh, where he brings a, they have like a time machine and they bring someone from the past in every episode and like kind of like show them the modern world, kind of Bill and Ted style in a sense. Okay. Um, pretty funny. Like, I mean, you know, all of the people they bring back are like famous actors that are pretending to be, you know, such and such from the past. And usually yeah. they're just, they just do nonsense things. They don't actually act like the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Just very silly. It reminds me of that episode of American Dad where they uh, have um, like one of the former presidents they clone and then he's just like obsessed with orange soda. He's just like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Orange soda. <laughs> yeah. Then he sings a whole song about it. It's so funny. I love that so much. <laughs> yeah. And even Machinima was part of that as well. Like that's this whole Otter Media like um uh, like it's kind of like this Otter Media is like all of the new media that like Warner Brothers bought like in the last like ten years has like all been folded into Otter Media basically. It's kind of interesting. Oh, sh- uh, Shutter was also on there, but they lost it as well. Okay, yeah. So like I, I used to have Verve, and it was like one of the main things I watched because like it had like it had a whole ton of anime because it had Crunchyroll and Funimation, and then it had all the old school animation like bugs and scooby-doo like we, i rewatched the whole like original season or yeah all the original scooby-doo again that was cool um that's really cool yeah but it also had like the it had a nick nick at night or not a nick at night a nickelodeon uh element to it as well and then yeah shutter which moved to amazon uh which was like okay. the, the horror uh horror movie streaming service which is really good also but again moved to amazon which i don't have and once both of those left i was like well then what good does verve have if it's just 
rooster teeth content because I can just go to YouTube and watch all that or go to their website and not pay any money and watch all of it. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So the, to get back to this distribution uh, model, this new distribution model that Warner Brothers is, is trying to accomplish with HBO Max. Um, so with the, like, we had, we talked about Gal Gadot and Patty Jenkins' deal and then Robert Zemeckis and Anne Hathaway had a similar deal for The Witches back in October, which you know just bypassed theaters and went straight to being a Max original. Well, what they're what they're claiming that they're going to do now is basically um, what what people's back end deal was originally. They're they're going to hack they're going to hack it down to fifty percent. So let's say if a movie made like a half a billion dollars, let's say if, if a movie made $500 million, then you got your back-end deal. Well, now they're saying, uh, okay, now let's, do a, now let's do a calculation of if the movie made $250 million, and then we'll give you, you know, half of what your back-end deal would have been. And so that's basically the deal that they're cutting for everybody. Because they don't know if these movies are going to make $500 million, a billion dollars, you know. So this is kind of like a loss leader for everybody this this like new calculation that they're doing okay i guess he's back cool okay so you were just saying that the um that all the studio execs are still going to make all of their money (laughs) oh yeah yeah that's how it works yeah yeah and this again this is all about optics like AT&T, saw, like, they were like, look, this distribution model is going to work perfectly. Let's do it for everybody else. And they didn't tell everybody else. They didn't announce, they didn't tell Legendary, who put 75% of the money into, like, uh, Kong versus Godzilla and Dune. Like, they didn't tell them that they were doing this new distribution model. And so they got really pissed off. Um, they didn't tell anybody you know they didn't tell any of these creators that um i know denzel washington got pissed off because one of these movies he directed and um but again like this is just just because they're afraid that they're they're just afraid they're not going to make their money but we already know that like they have a plan in place that it's the netflix plan it's the netflix model of paying everybody so even though we have these old back-end deals Everyone's still going to get paid. Like, I guarantee you they're not going to fuck over Denzel Washington, you know, or Dennis Villeneuve. I never know these days, but I mean, I, I wouldn't think so. But I don't know if they're. I, I forgot that Legendary was so connected to. I mean, that's that's uh, Chris Nolan's and Emma Tom, Thompson. What's her name? Not Emma Thompson. What's his wife's name? I think, isn't that. Um, does does Nolan own a piece of legendary? Oh, it's like his thing. It's it's him and his wife. They they created it. Um, uh, Emma Thomas. Emma Thomas. Wow. That's her name. Yeah. So they, yeah, they're. I'm pretty sure like they're the, the the creators, or whatever of legendary because they've yeah she's together they've produced, or maybe it's Syncope is the one they actually own syncope yeah that makes sense because i know i think legendary did produce the batman his batman movies the dark knight trilogy as they did a couple other films for warner and then they jumped over to universal and they um 
basically shit out a bunch of films that like was it called like the fifth son or something with jeff bridges do you remember that movie Ooh, no it's something like that I, that might not be what it's called um seventh son seventh son yeah seventh son they they did that over at universal they did black hat over at universal Ugh. And unbroken with Angelina Jolie over at Universal, and then they jumped right back to, uh, to well, I, they did a bunch more over at Universal too, um, like like Jurassic World. They they gave some money towards um, like Krampus, straight out of Compton, but yeah, they they um, jumped back to Warner Brothers, and they actually grabbed um, King Kong from universal because they were developing that king the kong skull island movie at universal and so they grabbed that and they brought it over to warner brothers so like this this character that's been a universal staple for a hundred years they brought over to to the wb which i think was a very very bold move because they already had the deal at warner brothers to make future godzilla movies so they you know they wanted to cross over both characters so i really think the only reason why they made the deal with Universal was to grab King Kong and then bring him back over to Warner. And that's, that's when like their new deal was Pokemon detective, you know, detective Pikachu and uh, the second Godzilla movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I was looking it up. Um, Yeah. Legendary is run by Thomas Tull. Um, Okay. But they've, he's, they threw them syncope, which is the Emma Thomas and Christopher Nolan's production company they've made almost all of their films through legendary. Yeah. Which makes sense. Um, yeah. So I, it makes me think that like, uh, you know, that the, they both Christopher Nolan and legendary as well, they, they would have a larger, they would be more against this than others because they stand to lose more money because they also, you know, unlike some of these other directors and actors and stuff, they're they're also producing their films. Yeah, so that's they, very true. They stand to lose a lot more, I think, than than some of these others. So I mean, I can understand why Christopher Nolan or and like Thomas Toll and Legendary Pictures and stuff might be a little bit more upset because it, I mean, I don't know, you know, for sure or anything, but like it, it would make sense that their their model of making money is more based on theatrical release. Absolutely. And I mean, that that is the distribution model. You know, you have the high end where you can only see it in theaters. And then then like once you put it once you put it on someone's television, then it can be anywhere, really. Mm -hmm. So like it's kind of hard to put it on television and then put it in theaters. But I mean, that could be what is the future where you just have stuff digitally streaming. No, I I think you're like, I think I think there's a really good model like to to make out of this or there is a like a really logical or, or useful way that this could be done i think and in, in, in terms of still having theaters too because i think theaters could turn more into gosh I, like like new beverly out here in la mm-hmm. yeah yeah but the the idea that instead it's instead of you know necessarily streaming new film like the you know new big Hollywood films or whatever it's more about streaming or like screening older films or popular films and making more of a an event out of it oh yeah I I totally I totally think that's what's going to happen in that 
you'll have a movie just streaming. And if the stream is really successful, then they'll throw it up in theaters and be like, people do want to see this. So it's, it's the, like, they're not going to put a movie in theaters if they think they're going to lose money from it. Now it's going to go to streaming. But if they do think if the streaming is successful, then you'll see it pop up in theaters. I feel like I could see that happening in the future. And of course, we're always going to have these big tentpole films that will, you know, uh, HBO Max is not doing that well. I think this is a good like shot in the arm for them. This is a vitamin B shot of of content where, you know, people are going to flock to HBO Max now to see these 17 films. And there's something for everyone. If you like horror movies, you have Malignant, you know, the James Wan uh, directed film. If if you like um, like giant tentpole films, you have Wonder Woman 1984, Dune, Godzilla, The Matrix 4, you know, which is the one I'm most excited for. Uh, like by far, I love The Matrix. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there and oh, if you like musicals, there's the Lin Manuel Miranda in, in Into the Heights, which actually started off as a Weinstein production, and um. Weinstein's bought the rights to Into the Heights like five years ago. And, you know, when that whole thing happened and, and the Weinstein company melted, uh, Warner Brothers grabbed the rights to that and then immediately threw it in production. And it was supposed to come out 2020. And, you know, now it'll be now it'll be an HBO Max original 2021. Hmm. Which, yeah. yeah. I mean, I am still glad, like, I don't know, I think it makes more sense to re- to release them this way still than it does to be like, okay, let's just sit on these for another year. Yeah, I mean, they're losing money if they just sit on them for a, a whole year. It doesn't, it doesn't make much sense. And again, if they're successful enough, you can re-release them in theaters and, like, no, you're not going to make, you know, as much or whatever, but, like, you could still make something out of it. Yeah. I don't know. I, th- I think if, if they start rethinking about it and start making movies events again instead of because they used to be uh you know they used to be more of an event where you know that you know the whole play uh cartoons beforehand and newsreels and like there's just a lot more like premiere style kind of events and giveaways and stuff i mean heck i even remember like going to like lord of the rings when it came out and like there were theaters where if like you dressed up you got half off or and things like that that's really cool yeah yeah like um when pokemon the first movie came out you got an exclusive like was it like mewtwo card like for the pokemon card game and i think Mm -hmm. i still have it like with my pokemon cards that i don't know how to play with i just have them in a book somewhere (laughs) i never (laughs) learned how to play the pokemon card game and i never will i don't need to (laughs) well did you ever play uh magic the gathering no (laughs) i'm sure it's exactly the same yeah i was gonna say it's like it's very similar uh, like a simplified version of that. Yeah. I did play Pokemon the card game, the game, like the video game oh. um, for a little bit. So I like learned a little bit through that, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't remember it at all. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't um, go back to Jason Kylar, which I find interesting because on his medium blog, uh, you know, he wrote about, he's like, here's a 43 second video that does a far better, better job than I could ever do communicating this news and it's gone like this youtube video this 42nd three clip of all 17 movies being released simultaneously on hbo max and in theaters is is not a video anymore which i find very interesting and to actually quote him from here 
Uh, I'll just quote Jason Kailar right now. He said, as I mentioned in my post from a few weeks ago, we see an opportunity to do something firmly focused on the fans, which is to provide choice, whether that choice is to enjoy a great new movie out in the cinema, to open up to HBO Max, or to do both for more visibility and context into our thought process. Okay, you can read it about it here. We're more <laughs> excited for the years ahead, which for us begins with the release of Wonder Woman 1984 in a few weeks and seven. And 17, yes, 17 huge motion pictures are planned to be both in theaters and on HBO Max. And on the subject of HBO Max, there are so many great, amazing HBO original series and Max originals we're excited about. The Tiger Woods HBO documentary is arriving in January. It is incredible. And this little thing called Zack Snyder's Justice League is coming in a few months as well. So, um, you know, that was originally going to be like July or August or September or October or something. Now they're saying March. That's going to come out. Oh, and the return of Succession and the highly anticipated Friends reunion, which they were supposed to shoot last year. They are supposed to shoot that this year, but they couldn't because of COVID, um, which I added that COVID part in there. We also have a great new crime drama called No Sudden Move from uh, Soderbergh. And then there is Mayor of Easttown starring Kate Winslet plus the new Gossip Girl which I think is going to make so many fans go crazy in a good way. And okay, I'll stop there, but I have only scratched the surface in terms of new releases HBO Max has in store. Maybe I should do another post on the bonkers library of movies and series on HBO Max. And then he said, um, before I end this post, I wanted to say that none of this would be possible without the hard work of so many people at Warner Mead, blah, 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 blah. Okay, whatever. And then um, at the end, he goes, P.S. Principal Photography starts on the next Game of Thrones series, House of the Dragon, in a few months. Look out for dragons overhead. And then posts three concept pics of that show, which I think he is um, anticipating. Like, I feel like he thinks Game of Thrones is a bigger deal than it actually is. I don't know if people care as much about this prequel series. Maybe they will. Um, I feel like a lot of people felt they got burned by the Game of Thrones finale and don't care about a prequel set a thousand years in the past. But that's just me. I don't know. I don't know. This could be their Star Wars Game of Thrones, you know? So who knows? Yeah, I don't. I, yeah, I, th- I think they burned themselves uh, too badly on that last season. Yeah. I still haven't seen it. Just it's I'm only that's the only season I haven't seen. I think and it's it was really weird because I think Benioff and Weiss, who you know, who shepherded Game of Thrones into existence as a TV series, they were they would go to a hotel room with um, J Double R Martin or George Double R Martin. There you go, and he would. <laughs> And so they would try to get out of him the rest of the story. And he wouldn't really say much to them. They would have to kind of get it out of him. That And, like, you know, they'd be eating and they'd be talking about the story and the concepts. And by the end of these meetings, they got the full picture of what the rest of the series was without him having written the books for it. So they knew in their own hearts what the end of the story was. But I think they felt like they couldn't tell anybody that and felt like only they themselves can write the end of the story. So they went out and they wrote, like, if you look at the writing of these last bunch of episodes, it's it's them. It's Benioff and Weiss. They took it upon themselves. 
And then they even said, like, we didn't have enough writers, so we got, like, our writer's assistant to write an episode. It's like, there's plenty of writers in Hollywood. Like, George R.R. R. Martin, like, wrote on, like, the freaking 80s Twilight Zone. Like, he's a TV writer. Bring him into the room or something. You know, like, that could have been a really interesting move on their part, bringing in George R.R. R. Martin into this. But they didn't. Instead, they decided, like, to take these, like... It's it's not it's not even these big sweeping narrative emotional moments. They took these big like 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 moments that they knew needed to be in the show and just tried to like get from point A to point B as quickly as possible without any regard for anything else. They're just like, "Okay, now we need to get here because this is what he told us once. Now we need to get here." And they really didn't have like a I know, it just seemed like it was too quick. And it was very, very much like a TV writer just trying to get from point A to point C without regard for anything in between, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. Because they knew where the big plot points were, so they just tried to get to those big plot points without any meat in between. It's like, a, oh man, what was the... They made that James Bond movie during the writer's strike, and it was the same way. Yeah, Quantum of Solace, yeah. Yeah, it was just like, okay here here's the next big big plot point uh, uh we got nothing yeah uh daniel craig says hi uh <laughs> yeah this other character says hi all right then nine explosions <laughs> all right shit we're in another dialogue scene all right just have him say something cool and then a whole bunch of exposition <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's like you you know what the set pieces are but you don't know how the characters interact with said set pieces. I think that is the problem. That's a problem a lot of time with these big blockbuster films. And sometimes I think with Bond movies that are well-written, where they like they, they know where they're going. Um, Lana's here. Uh, they know where they're going, <laughs> but they don't know exactly what they're doing once they get there. <laughs> and before we were talking about how HBO and Warner Brothers kind of takes the leftovers of um, of Disney. You know, like, there's someone who's been at Disney for a while, and I feel like once Disney is like, this person's creative juju is gone, then they, they dump them, and then Warner Brothers is like, hey, we can get Joss Whedon? Yeah, let's get Joss Whedon to be on our team. And so they get mm-hmm. Joss Whedon, and then, again, like... There's probably a reason why Disney dumped Joss Whedon. There's probably a reason why Disney is like dumping Johnny Depp. But Warner Brothers, you know, just wants to make money. They're not really focused on the the, the optics of hiring this this person. They're just like, this is a creative person. Let's hire them. Lana, you can't be on the computer. Lana Leopard, stop, stop, move. <laughs> She just made like a like a weird uh, um, emoticon face in our chat, <laughs> <laughs> and um, some very interesting news has come out recently. Because, um, um, but Cyborg, <laughs> Ray Fisher, um, a couple years ago, um, before they started shooting, before they started, I think it was before they started shooting the reshoots of Justice League after Zack Snyder's you know daughter uh, unfortunately died and Joss Whedon took over that uh he was like we're in good hands with Joss and then he came out a couple years ago and and he was like never mind we were not in good hands it was a very tumultuous set it was not good 
Um, it was it was basically a toxic work environment for all involved. And he's like, I want an investigation. And then Warner Brothers did an investigation. And he's like, listen, accountability over entertainment. That's all I care about. Like, I like clearly Ray Fisher does not care about like working for Warner Brothers again because he's more concerned about accountability, which is totally <laughs> fair. And I totally back him on that 100%. And so he was like, this this was not a good work environment. It did not feel safe. And so they did an investigation and it came back as nothing. And then Ray's like, listen, you did not do that fairly. That was your people doing the investigation. I want a third party doing this investigation. And this happened in August. And of course, optics with, with, uh, with Warner Brothers, right when they're doing the DC fandom, this huge, big event that's like super successful, like the most arguably the most successful thing that DC Comics has ever done. Like it had everyone's eyes turned to it for a day, for a whole weekend. Like everyone cared about DC Comics in that weekend in August. And at that time Ray Fisher was like, you know, they just they only announced the Jason Momoa like Frosty the Snowman project to distract you from the Joss Whedon like Justice League investigation. And and Jason Momoa was like, yeah, that's true. I I never got any information that I was gonna be in a, in in a Frosty the Snowman movie. Like, <laughs> this is all their PR team trying to like, wax, uh, Lana, <laughs> to stay on my lap. Um, you know, it was all just it was all just PR for Warner Brothers at the at the end of the day. That's what they were saying. So. Warner Brothers had an independent investigation about Joss Whedon's um, behavior on set of of what we call Justice League, you know, and um, it turns out a week before they announced that um, these preliminary investigations were concluded, they interviewed everybody. They interviewed Gal Gadot. They interviewed everybody about um, about what happened on set and. Warner Media concluded um, that uh, remedial action was taken, right? And that this investigation is now over. And like, what does remedial and what does remedial action mean? Like, no one really knows what that means. But obviously, a week, two weeks before they said that the investigation was concluded and that remedial action was taken, Joss Whedon left The Nevers, which was his HBO show, and obviously. It's all the same. It's all the same brand, you know. HBO, Warner Brothers, Justice League, DC Comics. So he said that he was leaving because he said that making a show during COVID would be too hard for him, Joss Whedon. And if we can kind of read the tea leaves, if we can kind of like read in between the lines in a way um, about what actually happened it seems like and again this is all speculation no one has said this for a fact but it seems like the remedial action that was taken following the justice league investigation is that joss whedon was fired from hbo pretty confident that's what happened and if we go into recently what gal gadot said about joss whedon she said Quote, I wasn't there with the guys when they shot with Joss Whedon. I had my own experience with him, which wasn't the best one, but I took care of it there. And when it happened, I took it to the higher ups and they took care of it. But I'm happy for Ray 
to go up and say his truth. Yeah. <laughs> y- yeah. And we, we know Joss Whedon cheated on his wife throughout the years that he was on Buffy and Angel and Firefly and Serenity and Dollhouse. Uh, we know that he presented himself as a hero for women's rights and a hero for creating female heroines. And we know that as a huge Buffy and Angel fan, I am. I mean, like, those shows mean every, meant everything to me growing up. Like, as a teenager, if you, were, if you were like, oh, what's two things that Chris Booker Taylor likes? They'd be like, oh, he likes Donkey Kong and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> <laughs> those would be the only two things that people would say that I, I, I like because it was true. Like, I was so obsessed with Buffy and Angel, and I was so obsessed with, like, the social justice that I felt those shows brought forth and the ability to have a female superhero and to take her seriously I thought was an amazing thing. But in retrospect, it seems like that Joss was hiding behind creating a female hero. He was hiding behind this stuff when he had this nefarious um, other like entity inside of him that was letting him do these other things that were not appropriate. And that's why this remedial action was taken. And I'm going to say right here that the remedial action and the Justice League investigation was Joss being fired from the Nevers from HBO. Thoughts? I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I you know, I don't know the whole story or anything and like, you know, but other than just like the you know, reading random things and stuff in the same way, but like I mean, yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. Like I I don't think it makes a lot of sense to to keep him on um and I don't know, it just and maybe I'm wrong, but like other than like I mean he had that letter and everything, but I mean, I don't know. It's been, I feel like the world needs more time. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it's like the, like the Louis CK thing. Like maybe it's too soon. You jump him back on stage, dude, like take a, take a couple more years off. And then like, you know, people do bounce back. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. was the most toxic person in Hollywood. He um, was drunk. There's a story of him being drunk and like, crawling into someone's like house and then crawling into a crib and falling asleep with someone's baby. Like, cause he was so drunk. Like these are the stories of Robert Downey Jr. Like falling asleep with a baby in a crib because he's too drunk to go home. And he, you know, you know, he took care of himself. He's like, yeah, I am a toxic person. I need to look at my own alcoholism. I need to look at my own like drug addiction and I need to, uh, take care of this and then he got sober and he got better and he stopped doing illegal things and he made Iron Man and you know he became a box office darling and off of the back of a clean and sober Robert Downey Jr. we then got like a multi-billion dollar franchise in the Marvel Cinematic Universe so is it possible to get better? Is it possible for these people to seek help in whatever addiction they have, whether it be like a sexual addiction or a drug addiction or alcoholism? Yeah, it's completely possible. Is it completely possible to change your life around and 
start making great content again for the universe. Absolutely. And I think that these people, like, I think it's entirely possible for Joss Whedon to come back um, as long as he, you know, make amends. He makes amends for his wrongdoings and he seeks the help that he needs because uh, it seems like he he has needed a lot of help throughout all of this. Yeah, and like, I don't know. Yeah, it's just a matter of like, I don't know. Yeah, I think time. Time is generally like the thing. Like, people just need time and you have to try to atone. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I mean, I think we should be very straight. I don't know. This Gal Gadot, this Gal Gadot quote about Joss is very like makes me have so many questions it seems she was very upfront almost about like exact like you know how she words this she's very upfront that he seemed very toxic to her and she did not want to work with him i'm pretty confident that in the reshoots it was you know her stunt double there instead of her which i think is confirmed she had no part in the justice league uh reshoots and it was all um her stunt double instead because there i know i haven't seen justice league i haven't seen batman versus superman either so i'm I'm not taking sides between who's better zach or joss as as filmmakers there's a like a scene i i know of in justice league where like the flash falls into like wonder woman's breasts and you know it's like oh this is silly because the boobs (laughs) and like from like originally people were like uh Gal Gadot did not want to do this. That's why it's the stunt double instead. But now we're learning, like, Gal Gadot didn't want to do any of this. She wasn't even there on set. She got, she not only was not there on set, she was like, this is toxic. I need to talk to people about this. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And that kind of brings us to the end of the, the big, 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 big news that we had. Um, I know uh, Timothy Chalamet also wore a legendary entertainment shirt when he hosted uh, Saturday Night Live this past um, month of December. And so, you know, he was there for legendary as opposed to being there for Warner Brothers. So he was kind of showing his support for legendary. um, And I I honestly don't know if Jason Kylar, I mean, this is a big big bold move that he made and um and warner brothers and at&t made all of them um john stanky who is the most fun person's name to say in the world uh, that's part of all of this better than stephen randelson and uh and all the at&t people i mean this is a really big bold move um i think some of these movies like i can see tom and jerry having been a being a thing that should just have been a premiere on HBO max, as opposed to being like in theaters. Um, Mm -hmm. But um, overall, like, I think this is a really bold move pissed off a lot of people, but at the same time made a lot of fans really happy because, you know, we don't have to risk our lives to go see the many saints of New York. We don't have to risk our lives to see uh, malignant or in the Heights or space jam Two or the little things. Yeah. Or the or James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, and he spoke up against this as well. But I just think it's because they haven't gotten their back end deals yet. I think they're gonna take care of James Gunn. You know, they're gonna take care of Denzel Washington, Dennis Villeneuve. They're gonna take. You know, they're gonna take care of these people. And as for Legendary, you know, they don't own Legendary. They don't. They can't really buy Legendary. I I know the 
the guy that you're saying before who who runs it um thomas tull thomas tull i i remember hearing that you know he is a very like go he is a go-getter he is like a no bullshit kind of guy where like if you piss him off he will not forget it type of dude so like the fact that they pissed him off is kind of interesting because i can see i can see legendary dropping their support of of warner brothers wholeheartedly but at the same time you know this is this is the game that we're in it's it's disney plus slash hulu versus hbo max versus netflix versus peacock you know (laughs) versus cbs all access which is going to be called paramount plus in a couple months uh because they need to rebrand because they got rid of um less moon vests over at cbs and you know he's the one that spearheaded cbs all access so and it's just a very interesting time that we're in especially the fact that uh the government got rid of the idea that a movie studio cannot own movie theaters. Like that's gone now. So Mm. like movie studios could, you know, Warner brothers could technically buy out AMC in the next year because of that deal. So, you know, Disney, you know, they own one theater, but they could own a bunch more now and have to make these deals with these other companies or not. They can just choose to only have uh, Disney films being projected at their regal cinemas that they buy out. You know what I mean? Yeah. I hope it does not go that way. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it will. I think that movie theaters will still remain independent, I would hope. Um, and I think that they realize, like, the big movie studios, which I think Netflix is part of now, there used to be, I used to think of them as there's six giant movie studios. So let me see if I can do it. There was Warner Brothers and Disney, Paramount and Universal, and Fox and Sony. And now, obviously, Fox is owned by Disney. So I think Netflix has come in as that as that big giant studio, but they don't release movies in theaters. So again, this is the new business model is releasing the movies digitally and it's just a new world that we live in now. And Netflix is really the the company that spearheaded this new world. It's not Warner Brothers, it's not Disney. They saw the writing on the wall and then decided to add their own writing along with that writing or created their own walls with their own writing. I'm not sure. (laughs) Something along those lines. (laughs) Something like that. Um, So do you have any other thoughts, any other processes in your head that you can think of that would be pertinent to our conversations right now? I think we we covered it, covered it pretty well. (laughs) Now, do you think that, Stanky and Kylar has pissed off Nolan to the point where he's going to leave Warner Brothers. I don't know. I think he could, though. Right? I mean, I think he. I mean, I think he could and be okay regardless. So yeah, I, I can totally see him leaving now. Um, you know, I'm mean, obviously Disney pissed off a lot of people when they bought uh, Fox. They pissed off Ryan Murphy, and so Ryan Murphy left FX and he went over to Netflix. You know, he's created like four things for Netflix already. They pissed off Shonda Rhimes. Shonda Rhimes went over to Netflix. You know, a lot of people. And I I think it was I think it was a bad move on Ryan Murphy's part, because obviously the branding for FX, in my opinion, has only gotten stronger 
Uh, John Landgraf, who runs FX, he's a powerhouse. He knows what he's doing. He's one of the best Hollywood players there is, specifically in TV. You know, there's been so much excellent content that FX has just been churning out since The Shield, which created and started their branding, that uh, they're nonstop. And the fact that they have kind of merged their branding with Hulu has only made them stronger. I know that Disney also has the Star brand, which is their international, more mature branding, um, which they, they're utilizing to an nth degree. Star and Star Plus is going to be a new thing for them. I think international, not here, because, again, we have Hulu already. Yeah. But I can see all those I can see all those brands, Star, Star Plus, and Hulu, and FX all merging together in the next five years, because why would you want a bunch of different adult brands mature content brands when you really just need one at the end of the day. But like, you know, if Ryan Murphy stayed with FX, you know, they, they could start, if it's FX on Hulu, there's, there's no, there's nothing to stop them from cursing or showing boobies or showing like, you know, side dick. (laughs) No, I I think that's true. Like, I mean, that that FX shows are, are very raunchy. I mean, I don't really remember nudity necessarily, but I mean, you know, well, that's the thing. There, there was, there couldn't be nudity technically. Like, I remember there was a scene in Rescue Me where, like, they're showing sex, and you see this woman's like boobs, like bouncing up and down. But they don't, they, you know, they specifically don't show her nipples. They're very, <laughs> very specific with that. But you know, now that now that FX is on Hulu, you could show nipples. You know, you could show these other things. You like Ryan Murphy had the opportunity to do anything. And I guess like he's able to do anything over at Netflix, but I don't know. The Netflix brand to me is whatever you want the brand to be, as opposed to it being like a very specific thing. Like if you want your Netflix brand to be Enola Holmes, you know, like the Sherlock Holmes, um, like sister spinoff and like stranger things, then that can be your brand for it. But if you like, or your, your, Netflix brand can be like all the David Fincher stuff since he has a deal over at Netflix or your Netflix brand could be like the Netflix kids stuff, you know, like whatever, whatever you want the Netflix brand to be, it is as opposed to like Disney being its own brand as opposed to Hulu being its own brand. Like Netflix is more this, is it mercurial is like, what, what word am I trying to think of? It's, it's more like, up in the air and it's what you want it to be uh yeah mercurial changeable volatile flighty or erratic yeah yeah there you go that's exactly what i'm thinking yeah perfect yeah it's more mercurial it's 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 erratic it's whatever it's whatever you want it to be and it can change at any moment this this netflix brand as opposed to like oh the disney brand is marvel star wars disney animation pixar and i guess national geographic for some reason now (laughs) (laughs) and you know they did tests too for the simpsons they were like are the simpsons uh how much aligned are the simpsons and the disney brand and they were afraid that they weren't aligned at all because if you remember the simpsons was was considered raunchy in the early 90s late 80s which is like so silly to think about nowadays and they realized that the Disney brand and the Simpsons brand are very, very similar. And the same people that like Disney animation love the Simpsons. So there was a lot of crossover there that they didn't realize. So they were like, yeah, let's put the Simpsons on Disney plus like the brands actually do match up. 
So they're very Disney's very aware of their branding. Netflix, I think, you know, they they just want to be television. And why and then HBO always was like we're not TV, we're HBO. And now they're like we're not HBO. Well, we are HBO, but we're also TV. Look, we have Craftopia. We have a crafting reality show. You know, like it's like they 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 want to be every brand now as well in this HBO Max branding. And I think they're still trying to find their footing. I still think HBO Max is still trying to figure out exactly what it is. And all of these all of these great silos of streaming, they want to be all of television, which might not be the best idea, but is also what the future of television is. It's like, oh, well, we need our Christmas movie. Like Disney has a trilogy called The Santa Claus. So we're going to make a trilogy releasing a movie every year like Netflix says this with Kurt Russell, Kurt Russell as, as Santa Claus, Kurt Russell Crow. That's how I always wanted to say that full thing for some reason. <laughs> Kurt Russell Crow. It's a, a wheel of fortune thing there. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, like they, they see the other brand and they're like, okay, we'll grab that. We'll try to make something that's similar to that. Like the, the guy who, who, directed Hocus Pocus and like 30 different uh, Disney Channel original movies. Like he has an exclusive deal over at Netflix because Netflix is like, we want that Disney Channel branding. Like even if it's not like the Disney Channel, we want movies that feel and act like they're on the Disney Channel, but on Netflix. So it's a, it's a really interesting like kind of Wild West we have uh, where people are just trying to get all of the all of the TV in their own silos, whatever that means. We'll see how it all works out. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that is that is it for the ATNWB podcast. Uh, this has been, uh, I mean, like I said, Warner Brothers completely broke down everything with this news. Like this was crazy. You know, there's like. There's art of Jason Kylar um, pulling the red carpet out from underneath Godzilla, King Kong, and Wonder Woman, which I think is really, really funny. There's there's a, a picture or a, a drawing that someone made of everyone shooting arrows at the Warner Brothers studio water tower. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, no, the Warner Brothers, they didn't do anything. And the Warner Sister dot. They didn't do anything. Why, why are you shooting at them? They're fine. They're animated. They can't <laughs> die. So yeah, it's just it's just a really interesting um, moment in Hollywood. What's happening right now? And we'll see if Jason Kylar survives this. We'll see if Ann Sarnoff, who runs uh, Warner Brothers, survives this. Because um, you know, finally, we have a woman at the head of Warner Brothers, and now she has higher ups that are all men, like kind of making the decisions for her still. So I feel like that's really weird. But again, um, yeah, in, in many ways, Christopher Nolan was right in that he now works for the worst streamer. And with like, I think it's like 80 million subscriptions now Disney Plus has. While again, I said it's like less than 10 or it's like 28 million overall for HBO that uh, Warner Brothers has. But they only have like room to grow. So I guarantee you in this next year with these 17 films, maybe 15 if Godzilla versus Kong and Dune get slapped off this list, which I can totally see happening, which maybe in retrospect, they shouldn't have had them on this list to begin with. Like they, or they should have, 
at least talked to people and been like, by the way, um, Tull, legendary, legendary Tull. What was it? Thomas Tull. Listen, listen, Thomas, uh, like we're going to throw your movies up on HBO Max and then and then announce it. They didn't give anyone the the um, they didn't give anyone the heads up, which I think again is the optics of the situation. Warner Brothers has always been always been awful, awful with optics, and that's what this boils down to. I think. Yeah, I mean, they definitely have uh, done a good job of pissing off a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very much so. But um, I th- I do think we all win in this situation because. Again, if COVID wasn't a thing, I think they would have the right to be angry. But because COVID is happening out in the world right now and will still be happening uh, like in July, you know, um, of 2021, that uh, I mean, I would think it, it'd still be because I guarantee you Americans like we like I can bring it all back. I can bookend this with Americans not um, doing anything uh, like a, a lot of Americans aren't going to take this vaccine. So. It's going to take a while. Unfortunately. Yeah. It's it's going to take a while for all of this to come to a head, for the world to heal. And in the meantime, while the world's healing, we get to see, you know, uh, The Matrix 4 on HBO Max. And I already have the subscription, so I don't have to spend any money to see The Matrix 4. Like, yes, please. I'm totally down for that. Also, if I get the vaccine in that time, you bet your sweet ass, my sweet ass, is going to be in a theatrical seat sitting and watching The Matrix 4 on a giant screen in 3D. Yeah, and I mean, we can just keep hoping that uh, people, that the vaccine will actually get distributed in a way that that'll be doable. (laughs) Exactly. All right. Well, for the 18WB podcast, I have been your host, Chris Booker-Taylor. And Alex Newman has been your co-host. And this episode was all about um, how Warner Brothers has destroyed the theatrical distribution model through Warner Synergy. That's all, folks. Roar! This has been a full dinosaur production.